Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Today we brought in Tim Kerr of the Big Boys. Uh, he's also, in more recent years, probably focused a bit on his visual art, but Big Boys are incredible, man. Uh, to me, they are about the only band that makes the Minutemen make sense to me. Like, <laughs> I thought the Minutemen were completely standalones, and then I heard the the Big Boys, and I was like, oh, okay, so there's, it kind of makes sense how they could have come to that sound. And I mean, there's, there's you know, precursors, your Richard Hells, your Wire, that kind of stuff, but all that doesn't feel quite as in the same uh, musical sphere as the Minutemen, but Big Boys has that funky, punky, experimental thing dialed in from record number one, man. They, and I think that they get, I, you know, me and Tim spoke a bit about how they get, uh, <laughs> hello FedEx truck, how they get, uh, they can get pigeonholed a bit as, you know, oh, this punky band that, you know, reminiscent of The Wire and all this other things, but he, or not The Wire, but Wire, <laughs> rather. Um, but you know, they were they were pulling from so much else. There's a lot of John Coltrane influence in there, and a lot of things that aren't. They weren't trying to be a punk band. They were just trying to be a band with little regard for commercial success and a high amount of regard for creative success and and uh, honoring their creative agenda, which I would say all of their records do. Um, the Randy Biscuit is what they called him, the singer. He is an incredible vocalist and front person and a bit of a performance artist in his own regard, and we got to speak a bit about that and about some of the uh, some of the history of the band and how it's been painted over time. Um, but it ended up being a really, really awesome conversation, and, and we were thankful that Tim is also contributing a track to the second compilation we're working on so uh hopefully you guys will check that out when it comes out i think it's definitely something to look forward to but yeah thanks for tuning in guys this is our chat with tim kerr awesome to go to uh, Germany in August and then there was a festival and they were doing a book and all this kind of stuff and then they wanted me to come to Spain uh, and do something there and uh, the guy that does uh, uh, I'm trying to remember it's some magazine you probably know about it but I just can't think of the name right now what it is uh, and they do a, a um, festival every fall and so now what's going on is all this stuff has been moved to uh, 2021 so now what I'm doing is I'm working on this book for the guys in Spain. Uh, that's um, it's kind of hard to explain it, but I had a whole lot of paper that uh, was just kind of sitting here. That's like old school pads and just, you know, just old elementary school looking things. And it's not acid free at all. 
And I was thinking what I was going to do for the Germany stuff that was going to be a pop-up thing was to uh, just do a bunch of stuff on this paper and then only charge like maybe a hundred bucks for them, you know, and I could carry it all on the plane and I wouldn't have to worry. And, and uh, so that's what I was doing. And they, I thought they looked pretty cool. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'll pick the, I was doing three or four of each person. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'll pick my favorite one of each one and I'll do a little fanzine or something, you know, with the, the yeah. drawing paintings and uh and then here came the people from spain asking about me doing a book and i said well i've been kind of thinking about this you want to do this and so that's what that's what i'm working on now so well, i just yeah. got finished diego rivera so <laughs> yeah that's awesome man that's harper lee next that's what i'm working on right now so. oh sweet man that's awesome yeah. yeah you're uh you've got that kind of you still have that little art shed that you just can fill up with all the stuff you're working on at any time I mean, well, that's, well, like mid-90s, like we, uh, you know, they were trying to get me to move Seattle to record bands and stuff, and, and Estrus was doing really good, and they were, they were trying to kind of have a stacks thing up there where they'd have us all kind of as a big family in one big building and stuff, and, and we came pretty freaking close to moving. We almost moved. And then we decided not to, and if we were going to stay here, we needed to... Um, either move to someplace bigger or add on to the house. So we added on just like this kind of two-story square thing. and uh, But we didn't have enough money to do something for the garage. And, uh, and we had one of those old wooden garages. And in early 2000s, the roof fell in. And when the roof fell in, I thought, oh, my God, city's going to be here in a second. We're going to be in trouble, you know, kind of. And so we refinanced the house that we had and uh built the garage and the and it was right around the exact same time that everybody started asking me to paint big again so we built the studio with the garage and that's that's when that thing got built so so yeah that's still there so. that's awesome man yeah that's a that's an awesome space to have I'm, I'm trying to in the next year or so build something kind of comparable maybe more so as a music space but just a a creative space on on some property here soon too so i definitely yeah. can get why that would be a pretty valuable asset as far as your creative endeavors are concerned man well the craziest story about that is that that uh i was telling somebody yesterday somebody came over here they're doing some kind of uh an austin art magazine thing and they come over here to ask me some questions and stuff and um they uh i was telling them the story that you know it took it took pretty much almost a year to build that thing because it always takes a whole lot longer than what you think it's going to be. And uh, and I was really just, you know, I was kind of ready, ready to like paint something big. And so I finally just went out there one Saturday and was just like, okay, screw this, I'm painting. And, uh, and the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to, you know, have music like when I was in there and stuff. So I thought I had a, a jam box and no, didn't have a jam box. I thought I had, and then it just, turned into that thing that we've all been through where something that you weren't going to do that day has now taken up the whole day because you're trying to figure out how to hook music up in here and all this and uh, and so when I finally got everything hooked up and I don't have uh, like iTunes or things like that I just put stuff on my phone that's all the records I've got here and you know stuff and I thought well I'm going to have John Coltrane christen this place so I hit the button to start searching for things and the very first thing that came up was john coltrane welcome mm -hmm. and i just went 
oh my god kind of thing and so i just i played it sat down didn't do anything just sat there and listened to it kind of thing and and i have a really strong feeling because everybody that's been in there just says man this place man and i, and I think that's kind of why you know does that make sense like oh, i think totally. <laughs> dude it, so, it's funny that uh that you mentioned coltrane because i i know that uh i think i watched the a documentary, like a short documentary, either about yourself or the big boys, where you were talking about how you know there's there's bits of Coltrane and all all sorts of stuff that's informing what you guys were doing back then. And uh, I know that uh, our mutual friend um, Mike Watt is a huge Coltrane fan. I mean, he plays it at the top of every radio show, and usually, or at least on the last tour I saw him on, they use it as the house music every night. Um, but yeah, yeah man, no, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about that that uh, that connection and that like sort of uh, why Coltrane first, resonates with you guys so much. That's the first painting I did for for Mike was I did him a Coltrane because he wanted one really bad, so I just gave it to him. So he's he's great. He's a really definitely good one. So he's he's a good character. Um, I don't know. I just uh, Coltrane like the the attitude the the music it's just it just really resonates with me now i can't speak for anybody else in any of the bands i've been in but it's just for me it's always been a pretty positive thing and at some point i got his name on my wrist like on each wrist i have john and the gold train and there's a pretty funny story that uh if we had a camera and you could see me you could <laughs> see like that the uh I, right when now time delegation was supposed to play here like we we never now Time Delegation only played in California, and then we were supposed to play here with Mud Honey, and this was after Monkey Wrench was going and all that stuff, and so everybody here was pretty excited to see it. The weekend before I broke my wrist, I was skating at the Turkey Bowl. This was like late 90s, and I uh, was doing a sweeper and just kind of ended up too much over the front of the board, thought I was going to run it out, didn't run it out, slammed my wrist down, and we uh, it, so obviously we couldn't play and we didn't go to Japan and just all this kind of stuff. But but anyway, when I got out of anesthesia, the first thing that the surgeon wanted me to see was that he had cut between the O and the H because he didn't want to mess up John Coltrane on my wrist. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought it was pretty freaking great. So. What a nice guy, man. He was looking yeah, out for so it. I've got like a scar now of that. And, and somebody just, like, I don't really ever... I don't really do prints and I don't because I like your hands on things and I don't really do like self portraits that much or I've, I've only done one for Dave. And but this one friend wanted my wrist like there was a picture of my wrist. And uh, so the when I did it for him, he had an older picture. So when I did it for him, I did it with now the scar and like the you know the other stuff that's on my wrist now as opposed to what that picture was. And That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to see that piece. Is it is it uh, one you can see online anywhere? Um, I don't think I posted it. I think he did. I mean, I can when we get off, I can send it to you. So yeah, you can dude, see it. that'd be awesome to see, man. That's a great story. Um, it's, but he's just, you know, he's just one of those people where I think just like Jesus or anybody or Buddha or any of these people, like he definitely, you know, his music is really spiritual and he was, he was definitely a prophet. You know, he definitely came down here with a message and, you know, so that's, I don't know. It just, it just totally resonates with me. So. Yeah, I can get it, man. Those records are just incredible. They definitely are 
you know, just inspirational on a, on a million different levels. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, well, if you don't mind, I guess I'll, I'll take it back a little bit. Uh, I'm kind of curious about what it was like for you growing up. I know you were outside of Austin. You were kind of growing up small town Texas. I wonder what your experience being a creative-minded guy in that kind of maybe not the most creatively uh, supportive kind of atmosphere was like for you? Well, I mean, I was born in 56, so I grew up through all the 60s and stuff, and I where we're, where we're from, Beth and I, is a, a place called Lake Jackson, and it's about 40 minutes south of Galveston on the coast, and about probably about 40, 45 minutes from Houston, too. It's almost like a triangle, but we're on the Gulf Coast, and we were the second best place to surf like the most consistent kind of waves and Port Isabel was always the best. And, uh, so I grew up with that. Um, my, my parents were like, my mom was a elementary school librarian. My dad was an elementary school principal. Uh, both my brothers ended up being coaches at some point. And actually the, the movie dazed and confused link letter, uh, is the, his, that's his story about being at Huntsville high school, you know, before he went to college, like that summer he was a senior uh my brother was the coach of of him so which what? was pretty freaking amazing so um they were like eight and ten years older than me so my parents especially my dad i think was really pretty happy that here came a son that was kind of a little bit more interested in music and art and and things that weren't necessarily you know football and the prom and all that kind of just stupid bullshit so um so, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the growing up was great. Uh, by the time I hit high school, it sucked, you know, because I just was not, I did not fit in with anybody else. Surfing was not cool at all back then from 70 to 74 in, in Texas. That definitely was not cool. Uh, they didn't really have freaks yet. They didn't have that term, but they definitely had faggot and just, you know, all this other kind of stupid shit. And, and uh, so... I didn't really ever get beat up, but I definitely got spit on and I got, you know, just pushed around and somebody grabbed my, I had a necklace on that Beth had made me and twisted that and I almost choked and passed out from that. But, you know, nothing, nothing where somebody just beat the hell out of me or anything. So, um, because I just did, I, I didn't do drugs. Um, I wasn't really into Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and all those bands that were coming out then. Because I was listening to Burt Yanch and John Martin and Nick Drake and just all this acoustic stuff. So I, from from all sides, I was the weirdo in the school kind of thing. And so, you know, that's kind of what I grew up with. But at least I saw magazines and I could see that, like, you know, I'm not from a different planet. I'm actually, there's this other stuff is going on somewhere else. And um uh, and, you know, when I got out of high school, I left. Like, I, you know, if, if you're going to stay in Texas and you're, you're kind of more into art and things like that, at least at that point in time, you came to Austin. Because Austin has always been like a little San Francisco to a lot of people and stuff. And, uh, and just recently, it's funny that we, we've been said that we're the blueberry and the tomato soup, you know, because it's <laughs> all Republican and here we are. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was, it was fine until, 
till high school and then it freaking sucked. So, but, uh, but surfing was, you know, I surfed. That's how I started skating when I came up here because I surfed all the time there. And that pretty much music and surfing and Beth pretty much kind of saved me. So, yeah. So if, if you're growing up there, I mean, I know that you're a little young for, for this, but were you kind of aware of the lore around bands like Austin bands, like 13th Floor Elevators and that kind of stuff? Or, or was that a little before you were tuned in? No, I mean, I heard them on FM radio and stuff, but like I say, I gravitate. I didn't dislike that stuff. It wasn't that. It was just that I gravitated more to acoustic, and I was just more into that. And so, like, literally the only Led Zeppelin record I had was the third one, because there's a lot of acoustic stuff on that thing. Right. And so I just, you know, it's I liked it, but I just didn't. I don't know. I didn't know how to explain it other than that. It just wasn't really in my orbit. You know, it's like, I mean, it was there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't really pay that much attention to it and stuff. So, oh, yeah, man. So, I definitely knew about the clubs because my brothers would talk, especially my, my middle brother would talk about Love Street Light Circus and, you know, the whole thing with, oh, hippies are all there and there's mattresses all on the floor and just all this crazy, you know, you know, I saw all of that, and I saw photos and things of it, but, you know, no, I never did really go or anything. It's funny, too, because Love Street Light Circus, years and years later, when uh, Fugazi was here, um, they always stayed here at our house and stuff because we're pretty much family, and and, uh, and we had a show in Houston. It was Bad Mother Goose and Fugazi, and we played basically where Light Street, you know, that Love Street Light Circus, whatever that place was called, was there. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, my God, this is that place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And I, I feel like uh, historically, or at least through, like, the the things I've read, yourself and, and the Big Boys gang kind of have, like, been a go-to, um, what's the right word? Like, you just put, you've been known to put bands up and take care of them when they come through Austin for, for a long time, so... That makes sense. Yeah. Eating and all this stuff, there's there's pockets. And it, it's hard for people now to kind of realize how it wasn't that big back then. You know, I mean, it was happening in all the different cities, but it wasn't this big. I mean, you know, most people had no clue what the hell was going on. Uh, there wasn't any possibility that this stuff was going to be played on the radio, that anybody was going to be writing about it and Big Mac. I mean, none of that stuff existed. So it was just like, the you know, it's the same thing how skating's become now. And uh, and so it was just, you know, people people would know about, oh, you, if you go to Detroit, like, make sure you get a hold of uh, Barry and all those guys and, and John from Negative Approach. And, you know, it was just everybody kind of helping each other set up things. And basically the people that pretty much opened up the whole United States was DOA and Black Flag because they went to every little podunk town and played. Yeah, and including kind of, our little podunk town in Columbia, yeah, man. <laughs> pretty much planted the seeds and kids, and so here we go. You know, and recently, the last couple of years, I've been talking to people about, man, how come we can't do that with art? Like, how come we can't just like, you know, uh, you know me and whoever... We're going to go on tour, just like a band. We're going to go up to Seattle and come back, you know. And if you could get enough people involved and people to, you know, where that seed got planted in them to where, well, I don't really do art, but, you know, you could have a pop-up in the garage or I've got a group house. You know, if, if you could get a whole other thing going, like we all kind of did with the music, you could totally 
blow this stuff out the, the you know, the ocean or whatever kind of thing. You know, the, the whole cool lunchroom table gallery kind of type thing that goes on. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have a whole nother thing going on and, and considering what happened with the music, look, you know, it could definitely happen with the art too, you know, where, you know, you don't have to go to them anymore. They're coming to you because they want to be part of this. So. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I definitely believe in that, in that spirit of the DIY and, and making it happen. Like it, it's, uh, I mean, now's probably really a, actually a really great time for that. You know, people need to kind of flip the script on, on their approach based, I mean, whether it be, you know, because of the virus or everything else, like it's a good time to be, to be, you know, thinking creatively about how to, how to make things happen like that. Um, and I mean, it's always been going, you know, it's always been here and yeah. I always tell now when they ask me about, you know, oh, punk, you know, it's like, I, I keep saying we weren't doing punk. We were doing DIY because punk has such a uniform and such a set of rules now that has nothing to do with what we were all doing and what I do. You know, it doesn't have, it, it's, it's the whole attitude of like, huh, you know, I can't do this here. I can't do this here. Hmm, I'm going to do it over here. If you want to come, cool. That kind of thing. And then start a community. You know, yeah. that's, a, that's a part of it too. It's like making sure you, anybody that's interested in it, then you definitely, you know, let them participate so that you get a community happening and stuff. So, so that, you know, to me, it's still going on right now. They just don't have a, you know, usually what happens, I mean, beatnik, punk, hippie, you name any of this stuff like when it started it was just me and you deciding we were going to do something and then all of a sudden it gets a uniform and a name and all these rules and stuff and it turns into beatnik or it turns into hippie or it turns into punk or what you know kind of thing and that you know what i'm trying to say and so it's like the diy part of it is still full tilt going so which is cool so totally man i mean I I think you're absolutely right in that regard, man, and and that sort of spirit that you've always latched onto, where like the it's not a you're not striving for acceptance or uh, you know validation. You're striving to make the art. That's the that's the end goal is to create. And if if you get positive feedback, that's amazing. But you know if you don't love what you're doing with or without that feedback, it's sometimes in my, or at least as far as my, like, modus operandi is concerned, if, if you don't love it yourself, it's barely worth doing, you know, you're just kind of serving okay. someone else's agenda. Well, if you're, especially, as mostly self-expression, I mean, whatever else do you, I think so too, but definitely self-expression. If you're, if you're doing this because you need validation from somebody or you think you're going to get a bunch of money or you need the name or you need that you you're going to have an amazingly hard time it's like you you really really need to be doing this because you have to do this you know it's like air you're just it's breathing it's basically it and so rather people see it or not or hear it or not or read it or not or any of that stuff you're going to do it anyway because it's it's you it's what you're doing so so yeah i just you know there there's definitely like a you know yeah there's definitely that small percent that are going to be the you know michael jackson's or whatever bruce springsteen's all that kind of stuff but for the most part most all these people that you think probably have a bunch of money or whatever they're all hustling just like you are they're not 
you know, you don't, you don't get a bunch of money from this. You don't get, you know, just all of that stuff. So, so yeah, you're totally right. You need to be doing it for yourself and not, you know, not for the recognition or whatever. So, well, I think that's what I love about pretty much your entire, uh, artistic career, man. Everything you've done just feels purely, uh, I guess, authentic and just, you know, like you said, it's about self-expression first and anything that comes otherwise is just a positive byproduct of it. But, I mean, uh, (laughs) of course, man. Yeah, it's hard not to notice, man. You guys have some, I mean, you've just done incredible work for so long, man. I, I was revisiting, I mean, and not to just, I mean, your art is so much bigger and beyond just any individual project you've been in. But uh, I was revisiting those uh, first couple Big Boys records, man. And, you know, the first one is very straightforward. Like the, It kind of feels like what I imagine a Big Boys live show was probably very much so like. You know, kind of just drums, bass, guitar vocals yeah. and, it, and it, it's amazing in that regard but it feels so fully fully imagined even by the first record you know like uh it, it seems like so you guys one? found your sound immediately when you say first, when you say first record not the record live record but the but the first studio record oh the the uh the industry EP. standard where's my towel yeah, it's got it's got uh, I think it, I think that one's the one that has Hollywood swinging, but it's got We Got Soul, the horn thing, and all that. Yeah, like when yeah, you, yeah. When that's you guys... kinda, actually, that's kind of my favorite of of Big Boy stuff. That's my favorite record, and actually, my favorite. Or, I mean, I think that's the one that's the most um, you know, kind of like solid. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But uh, but literally, one of my favorite songs we ever did was We Got Soul. I just think that thing turned out great. So yeah. Well, you guys seem to be pulling from like a million places musically and it, you know, it feels so cohesive and, you know, people love to try to pigeonhole big boys and be like, oh yeah, it was, you know, this punky, funky thing, but it's so much more than that. And then if you listen to something like Sound on Sound off of Lullabies, like that could have been on a Built to Spill record in 93 and nothing sounded like that in 83 when that record came out, you know, like it's, it's. There's there's so much more being touched on with with that project than just the, I mean I love that the punky funky kind of stuff too, but uh, it it's selling you guys short to to act as though that's like your your uh, one trick pony. That, you know what I mean? You guys could pull off so much more than just that. Yeah, but that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. But, because once you put something out you don't have any control as to what you know as soon as you guys started this podcast i'm sure there's some people writing in about this or that that have nothing to do with what y'all are doing you know it's just like you don't you, you don't have the control at all you just do what you do and hope that you know luckily i've pretty much always been like this to where you know 50 years from now, I'm not going to have to say to somebody, yeah, I did that, you know, be proud of a bunch of years now, or you're going to be able to answer to, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like you were saying, like, you put put the art out there, and, and people do with it what they will, and that's that's their problem, and I, I love that, that kind of outlook, but you know, you said you started out really sort of heavily kind of 
maybe not focusing, but just by whatever reason ended up being more on the acoustic side and, you know, loving Led Zeppelin's third record and, and, and things like that. But was there a point where you felt like uh, sonically inclined to shift towards, you know, something that's a little bit uh, more electric and, and ramped up like that? Or was it just, it just the you know, the you and, and Randy and everybody got in the room and it just kind of happened how it happened? No, nah, I mean, like, first of all, you know, we, we were all skating. Like, a couple, you know, we, I got up to Austin in 74. And I probably met Biscuit and Chris and all of them in probably 75 or something. Because you know, we were all, you know, it was right when Urethane Wheels had just come out. So that kind of changed a lot for everybody. So Cadillac Wheels and, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we were all skating here. And that's how we all met. And uh, so we were, you know, we were, we were already skating a bunch of years before punk rock even started. And then you kind of started, you know, Austin had definitely a scene pretty early on. And you, and I was working at a record store, too. And so I started hearing the stuff coming in, and I started hearing, like, you know, I kind of gravitated more towards the Clash because I liked the harmonies and things like that. And, and, uh, and Sex Pistols just sounded more like a rock and roll band to me. I didn't really, you know, didn't dislike them, but I just wasn't that. And I was so much more into soul and, and um you know, jazz and things like that. I just wasn't paying that much attention to it. And I liked XTC. I thought they were cool. I liked, um, you know, stuff like that. And Wire, that very first album's really cool. Uh, but anyway, we were all skating and stuff. And Biscuit, Biscuit was 10 years older than I was. And I was probably about eight, seven or eight years older than Chris, I bet. Or maybe not quite that old, but almost. And um, so, you know, there's a pretty big age difference. And and Biscuit, you know, kind of, he, he had already been living here and he was already kind of part of the whole just weirdo Austin scene, you know, kind of thing of like back when the hippies were gone and all that kind of stuff, he was here. So his hair, his hair was down to his butt. His hair started getting shorter and shorter. And he kept talking about this place, Raul's. Um, Chris and I, and I think Beth, and I can't remember, a, a friend of ours, Rob, we all went to Raul's just to kind of see. There was like the Battle of the Bands was going on. It was the Huns and Boy Problems and all these bands. And and we went. And, you know, I Beth and I didn't really go to bars. Like, we'd go to the Armadillo World Headquarters and see a band play or something like that. But we didn't really we didn't go to bars that much. And, and so that was already a sort of a new experience. And then you get in there, and it was just like, holy shit, you know, what's going to happen? What's going on? And the first thing, and I say this to everybody, the, the first thing that I kind of realized was that there wasn't a barrier between the crowd and the band. Like, there, there wasn't any more, you know, either there's a real one or an invisible one or whatever. It's not there. And the crowd is just as important as the band is. Uh, the guy in the back yelling, sound asleep, we're sound asleep. But the band is just as big a part of the band. Everybody in there was doing stuff. They were either in bands, they were taking photos, they did fanzines, they were doing posters. I mean, it just hook, line, and sinker. I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And music was secondary. You know what I'm saying? It was just that whole idea of like, okay, there's not a barrier here. This is great. You know, this is like a, a community kind of thing. And, and Chris and I, the next, 
day, I think we were skating at Pflugerville, and we were laughing and talking about it and talking about, hey, I wonder, let's let's see if we can get together and play one time at Raul's. Let's see if we can get together kind of thing. And we flipped a coin to see who was going to play bass because Chris played exactly what Junkyard ended up playing, you know, that he was in later kind of thing, just that Ted Nugent, ACDC kind of type stuff. And I was playing in all these weird tunings and, you know, just all this other finger picking and stuff. And uh, he got bass and I got guitar. And we asked Biscuit, because we knew Biscuit was singing all the time when we were out there. And then there was another friend of ours, um, Steve, that skated. And uh, we knew that he was a drummer. So I was like, hey, you want to do this? And uh, so that's that's kind of how it all started and how it happened. And at the same time, it, it, it kind of was, you know, fairly quick or fast. But you started seeing in Skateboarder, because this is before Thrasher, you started seeing, like, you know, Olsen and people like that, you know, starting to look kind of punk looking and like, oh, shit, they know about it, too. That's pretty cool. You know, kind of, so it was just this, I don't know, it was just like this kind of movement that was happening. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, I, I I love that it, like, your whole career has just uh, been very natural. You know, you just kind of followed whatever creative energy was pulling you wherever you didn't, you know try to will something to fruition you just rode the wave man which historically makes yeah. sense right you're a surfer you know but I, the thing is it's like it's to me that's that's what you should be doing you know if you stay wide open there's so much going on you don't have a clue like where it might take you next and i'm total living proof of that one you know so definitely yeah. man i know back back in uh i mean you've, you've spoken a few times about how you know a big uh, you know, just a, maybe part of what led to big boys ending up parting ways was, you know, you would tour past that three-week point where you kind of drive each other crazy and, you know, you're like a dysfunctional family almost uh, on, a, on a road trip bugging each other. Yeah. But, like, uh, you know, speaking of that, that tour history... And I, I've picked a few different artists' brains about this. This is sort of a selfish question, but just out of my personal curiosity, do you guys ever make it through Columbia at any point? Columbia, South Carolina, where we're hanging out? I kind of, maybe. We played, I'm trying to remember. No, we played in Virginia. I'm trying to remember where, where's Guar from? Guar is from uh, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, we played there. Big boys played there, and the oh, bad mother. Dude, Richmond is fucking incredible, man. I love that yeah. town. Yeah, we played there, and then big boy. That was kind of that very last tour. We were coming back from the show in D.C. with the Go Go stuff and all that with Trouble Funk, and uh, so that was. And then I think we were supposed to go to Florida, but by that point, we were just so sick of each other. It was just like, oh, let's go home. You know, kind of right? Thing. Yeah, dude, that's probably I mean, a like, smart move. And it literally it wasn't one of those things where you know. I quit kind of thing. It was just like, let's take a break and we'll get back together. You know, that's, that's literally what was going to happen. But then, then there was just this crazy. show where there was like this kind of older guy that was passing out Nazi paraphernalia to little boys. And it was real obvious what he's doing. It's not like the Klan or something. It's just this guy trying to pick up boys, you know, kind of deal. And Biscuit and him had had a couple of run-ins before and, He's there in the crowd. Um, Biscuit points him out and uh, basically says, get him. 
And, uh, and then there's a kid behind him that I was always having a problem with. Because you have to realize, and if you talk to most, a lot of people that are kind of from the generation I'm from, that uh, they'll tell you that, like, you know, the first generation of the hardcore stuff, not punk rock, but the hardcore, where it was all ages and all that, uh, great. Because none, nobody, none of those kids had anything like this. So this was a big special thing, and it was just a bunch of weirdos in a room and everybody's having a great time, and they all looked out for each other. Uh, second generation of that, pretty much same kind of thing. By the time it got to be the third generation of it, which is now we're talking like 84, 85, somewhere in there, now it's just little groups of people coming because they have this every week, weekend. You know, there's always shows going on now. It's not anything special to them. Uh, here come the four skinheads in there when there's 300 people in this in this show, and here come four skinheads, they take over the show, whereas it used to not happen, you know, but now it does because everybody's in their little pockets with their friends, and they're kind of worried about it. It's not this big group anymore, you know, it's just not this big community kind of type thing, and things all pretty much everywhere, you know, for better or for worse, it changed, and it kind of changed into you know, late 80s into the 90s, it became shows again, you know, to where you literally had the barriers and you had, bound, you know, just all that kind of stupid stuff instead of being just this happening, crazy community type thing, you know. So so basically, when Biscuit called that guy out, there was a kid there that was just fucking everything up all the time, you know, just like, you know, we'd find a new place and before we'd get kicked out, and, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to fuck up the bathroom because I'm punk rock. You know, I'm not supposed to be listening to anybody. Fuck you kind of thing. So he's back there giving the Nazi salute. And I, you know, horrible as it is, I said, get him too <laughs> kind of thing. And we went into no. And it's probably the most intense we've ever played that freaking song. And, like, while we're playing it, you might as well have thrown meat out to a bunch of wild dogs where nobody really gets the meat they get the you know they're just on each other kind of thing and it was pretty much a mini riot for a little while and luckily those two guys didn't get hurt which you know is good and uh and it it kind of was a pretty big eye opener and then when it was all said and done biscuit kept denying that he did it you know kind of thing so that you know that he wouldn't you know take a you know, I don't know what the word is for, but you know, he would he wouldn't take. Um, God, what am I trying to say? I'm gonna have Alzheimer's so bad when I get old. <laughs> Dude, I'm right there with you, man. I turned 29 <laughs> next month, and I can't ever he, he remember wouldn't where take anything responsibility. is. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. He wouldn't take responsibility. I was taking responsibility for the part that I said. You know, kind of thing. And we, all of us were just like, okay, that's it. We're not playing anymore for a while. You know, and even then, we weren't breaking up. It was just okay. But we're, we have to stop. You know, we've got to stop now because this is not going to turn out good if we don't. And uh, But then we just never got back together because, you know, Biscuit would never admit to the responsibility of it. And it just kind of kept coming up. And then in the meantime, we had always, you know, on the tour, we had all of us had been talking about, well, we'll take a break and let's just, you know, do something that you might want to do or just, you know, some just fun little project or whatever. And Chris was, it was right around the time when Metallica was doing those cassettes and Chris really liked that kind of music a whole lot. And so he was going to start some kind of band kind of, I guess more like that. I'm not sure. And, uh, and then Mike, who was our roadie, Mike Carroll really, really wanted to be in a band, but he was really shy. And he, um, 
and but he was really into like the, the one of the first questions you were asking me. He was really into all the '60s stuff, the uh, you know all that stuff. Thirteen floor elevator, psychedelic stuff. He was he was really pretty amazing person, and uh, and so I told him like, well, let's when we get back home, like you tell me what you want to play, and we'll figure out some songs and stuff, and I'll make up some things, and and we'll just and we'll do one show at the Continental Club, and it'll be your night, and we'll play whatever you want to play kind of thing and that's how poison 13 started and when oh, poison yeah. 13 started up then crit then biscuit thought that and a lot of people thought that that oh they've kicked biscuit out and now they're starting this band you know kind of type thing and, and which was not at all what was going on and then that just made the division even wider you know what i'm saying to where biscuits now really pissed as and just so yeah we just never never ever got back together after that so did you, did you and Biscuit or or anybody else in the band ever kind of collaborate in in, in, a, in um, a way outside of Big Boys after that? No, because Biscuit Biscuit was really like he had all his eggs in one basket and he was holding a grudge really bad, and it turned into a thing where you know we've all got friends like this. It turned into that thing of where their truth, which is not what happened, became what happened and the right. truth and it came even stronger and stronger so in his mind we had set up that whole last show to uh, get him all upset and kick him out and we knew it was going to be the last show and all this kind of you know just on and on and on which no none of that happened that wasn't true and so when touch and go when Corey and them wanted to put out reissue the big boy stuff um, biscuit and i got back together for a little bit you know, and just kind of try, and I, you know, explained to him and told him, no, we didn't start that to kick you out, and no, this didn't happen, and no, that's not what, you know, kind of, right. and everything, everything was kind of good for, you know, a couple of months kind of thing, and we were doing stuff, and then uh, all it took was some kid saying that, uh, you know, Beth, Beth, who had always been a saint to Biscuit all the time in this, didn't have anything to do with this conspiracy theory he had, but uh, Beth, want, you know, it was, it was pretty obvious after that tour that we were going to take a break, you know, kind of thing, that we were going to not be playing for a little bit. And Beth told somebody that, oh, you better go see him tonight. It might be the last show. And the kid told Biscuit that. And boom, all, we're back to the conspiracy. And we were all in on it. And Beth was too. And just and then everything just like, okay, fine, whatever. So, yeah. yeah that's unfortunate, man. It happens. Uh, I mean, I, I can still remember being younger. And one of my, uh, I guess, like kind of college era bands, we had me and a friend butted heads. And, you know, it was it was the most ridiculous story, man. Like, it was, it was something super petty where, like, somebody left somebody's gear on and they were arguing about just you know just some shit that does yeah, yeah. not matter but yeah and in the moment what happened was you know you just like you called him out like hey asshole i didn't do that you left it on but like and you know just trying to diffuse the situation and the story was always told back to me that i said fuck off you yeah, know, yeah. blah 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 and it was so much more extreme than it was emotions can inform uh your memory and it, it it's just uh you know it's unfortunate that 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 hit you guys the way it did but you know i you know it happens it, man it, it's just a I, part yeah. of life 
Yeah, me and Dave Kreider always, like, when all the extra stuff was really going full tilt all through the 90s when I was recording a bunch of those bands and all that, we would always be laughing when stuff like this would come up. And our, our saying to each other would be just like, bands, bands, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it is an, it's an, there's an art to just being in a band, you know. I mean, there's yeah. so, it's a complex relationship. It's maybe more so complex than, you know, I mean, maybe not more so, but it's as complex as a as a relationship, like a, with your partner. Uh, they're doing, they're they're doing an Estrus book, which is pretty great. They're putting it all together right now and stuff. And they talked to me a couple of different times. And one of the stories I was telling them because they were asking me, like, you know, was there any really bad times in the studio? Which I didn't really, not really. But then I was telling them about this one time where, which is totally what we're talking about now, where. Uh, they came to Sweatbox. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name the band or anything. But they came to Sweatbox, and uh, they had driven from California or where here. Well, then the, on the road trip, they had all kicked out the guitar player, but they didn't tell the guitar player yet kind of thing, right? right. So now I'm hearing all of this kind of deal. So now I'm having to deal with that shit, and, like, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm telling the guitar player because this is fucked up, and you can't. You know, you can't do that to somebody kind of type thing. And right when we're getting ready to get the singer to come out to sing, you know, we got everything all set up and stuff, and he's going to come sing and everything, he gets a phone call, and it's his girlfriend. And his girlfriend's all pissed off at him and throwing all of his stuff out in the front yard, and she's leaving him and all this kind of stuff. And so now it turns into guidance counselor, like psychiatrist, and I'm having to talk to them and, like, sit with him out in the hall. And just, I mean, it just was like the craziest, <laughs> like... Well, dude, you're you're a saint for for being willing to be a, a peacemaker. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I kept I kept always wanting Dave to put on there. Don't put, you know, because my biggest pet peeve or one of my biggest pet peeves is labels. Labels drive me fucking nuts. And I'm not I'm not talking about like you know record labels. I'm talking about just the label of like oh vegetarian, oh producer, oh artist, oh so and so because. That stuff has got so much baggage attached to it that has nothing to do with me at all that it just drives me fucking nuts. And like, and so I was, I was always telling Dave, just put guidance counselor or coach or something. Don't put producer on there. Just right. like have guru, you know, something. Because like that. I mean, because you you really do do all of that stuff. You know, it's not just going in there and turning knobs. I mean, you literally are like a coach, a psychiatrist, a guy. I mean, there's all that stuff's going on all the time. You know, so yeah, the best producers can kind of shepherd uh, a band, and but without without you know uh, taking away from the the vision that's already there. You know. Um, no. And and I definitely learned a bunch from. I came from the spot school of the thing of just like, you know, you work for them. I, they're not working for me. You're, you know, I'm working for them. So I'm trying to get what they want, but get it the best that I'm pretty sure they can do. And at the same time, you know, saying things, you know, saying like, "Ooh, it would be cool if you did this or that," you know. But it's not. I'm working for them. You know, it's like it's not me. Like it, it always, I was always really shocked when bands would just let somebody else mix stuff. I just, I, I just can't even comprehend that, you know, because it's your stuff. So why are you just handing it off to somebody else? To, okay, handle that. You know, it's just like that makes no sense to me at all. So, well, you know, weirdly enough, I, I, I had my first experience with something kind of along those lines recently, where I, uh, I didn't hand off the mix to to someone out of the band, but 
Uh, we yeah. we did a so Comfort Monk made a compilation recently that was all covers of guests who've been on the show, and the band that I play in, I play in a band called Dear Blanca, and we did a replacements cover, and I thought, well, if there's ever a time for me to experiment with what it's like to have. Not no, I I didn't take complete hands off, but I took the yeah. person who produced it off of mixing. I didn't let the person who recorded it mix it. Basically, is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah. But what the person who did mix it was the guitarist in the band. Uh, you know, our our guitarist his name is Alex, and we since COVID's going on, we kind of recorded mostly separate. And so he wasn't there when we did all of this, the the bulk of the tracking. And I said, all right, man, I want I want you to record all electric guitars. And I want you to handle the mix. And of course, like, you know, we're here to to listen and, and, and give constructive criticism. But I will say, man, there was something to be said about, I think it helped that it was someone in the band, so it's not very too removed from the project. But uh, having somebody who wasn't bogged down with the, the hours that have already been put into it to, to give you a, a fresh perspective on the mix. And then... I'm here to be like, okay, we'll turn this up or that up. But it was the first and only time I've ever had the first mix be the mix. And oh, I, that's cool. uh, yeah. So it was just an experiment, and I figured, you know, at, at least with a cover, it's it's just a different mentality. But, yeah. but, but I mean, I'm with you. You pretty much said exactly it, because the, the deal, and I tell I was always telling bands that, you know, whether it's me or not, that really doesn't matter. But it's always good to have somebody in there that everybody likes and respects and they kind of know what's going on and what you're doing, but doesn't have the baggage of the band. You know, that's literally just like somebody that can say, you know, you're kind of, you're a little bit flat right there. Do you want to do that again? So we can, t-? and the per- that, you know, me saying that to them because I'm not in the band, if the drummer said that to the singer, Oh, then that's yeah. going to set off something that happened three shows ago when something happened. You know, it's just all this shit. So it's like it's Dude. always good to have somebody that's just kind of doing stuff that's a little bit removed from it all. So man, you know. it, it meant the world to me the first time a producer was like, "You could sing that better," you know, because I had the first couple records that I ever made were uh, it was a friend who was recording us who's super talented and i was so excited to work with him but i felt like he might have been more inclined to to take my first pass for everything and i am very like i would say almost to a fault i'll put a fork in something and call it done yeah if it could be the first take i'm really excited about it but that's not uh, I'm not the person to call myself out on there could be a better take because I'm pretty I'm so not a perfectionist but having hey, yeah. somebody be like actually you know what hit that one more time and I was like shit you know what I could do that a little better and it, instead of me listening back to that record and being like damn that one part if I had hit it again just having somebody who who knows how to do that without hurting your little precious little feelings you know well, that's exactly it, and that's why I'm saying if you get somebody that you like and you respect, then you pretty much will, you know, you might argue sometimes with them, but I mean, at the same time, if they've got a pretty strong argument, and once again, I'm working for you, you're not working for me, so it's like, you know, you, it's it's basically teamwork kind of type thing, so, but yeah, it's definitely good to have a, a an objective view when you're doing that stuff. You know, it's yeah. funny, the I, I, I recorded this band. I can't remember their, what their name was. They're here in Austin, and it's and this is like 
this was in the 2000s, and it was a, pretty much a kid band. Um, and I don't think they knew who the hell I was and why should they, you know, kind of type thing. But the parents really wanted me to be in there to record them and stuff. So I just remember when we were mixing, like, you know, we got it. They were all in the room and stuff, and parents were in the room and stuff. And, and we get it all mixed. And, you know, usually I would be like, okay, well, what? Like, okay, everybody stand right here. Listen. What do you think? What do you think we need? Is this okay? You know, kind of all this kind of. And I just remember, like, you know, when we got to that point, I'm standing there and I look back and I see all the kids on their cell phones and stuff, and nobody's really, they really could care less kind of type thing. And I just remember saying, like, it was just funny because in my mind I kept thinking, you know, this is kind of like soccer mom, soccer dad kind of thing, but it's bands kind of thing, you know. And I turned around and said, you know, this is this is probably the first and only time I've ever said this, but what do the parents think? And they all jumped up and came running over to the board. It was great, and like, and they, and just the classic, you know, the the drummers' uh, parents are just like, well, you think the drums are loud enough, you know? And the bass players' parents, you think the bass is loud, you know? It was great. It was just the best thing ever. So yeah, I, I had a producer tell me recently when I was was giving him some notes on the mix because uh, we're very. You know, we try to be democratic, get every, everybody's word in on the mix, and and the drummer was like, "Oh man, that I just need the drums up on the mix." And he was like, "Man, every band, the drummer and whoever it is, everybody wants themselves to be louder." So we gotta, gotta get out of that headspace. But yeah. it, it is funny how also, how predictable the, that is. Yeah, but there's also the singer. Usually, like he can like everybody can hear themselves, you know, so no matter how low you have them in the mix, they're going to hear themselves kind of type thing. So it's like, you got to get out of that too. You got to get everybody to listen to it as a big general thing. Cause usually singers don't want to, you know, they want to be a lot lower in the mix than what they should be. You know, when in reality, you, well, you, you wrote those words, you feel really strong about them. You actually sound really great. Don't you want people, but you know what I'm saying? But they yeah. hear it. Or how low you have them in the mix, I'm too loud, you know, kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 you got, you need to be up there with a the guitar. This can't, you know, you can't be buried. So, you know. Well, this this is a this is a major uh, side tangent with very little segue, and and I I was hesitant to even bring it up, but it's this, you know, you and I, this feels like a pretty. Uh, comfortable conversation to bring it up but if it, if it's at all uh comes across as sensational i apologize but i am curious um and and it, this is just because you and i I've, i feel comfortable with you already to ask but if, if you okay. don't if you don't like it we'll cut it out but just out of my well, one selfish thing, curiosity um well, really funny because you get me going and i go so you're gonna have a hell of a time editing this oh, but dude. Going to <laughs> what, yeah. you'll notice when you listen back that there will probably be very little that we cut we, we uh unless and you know if you if there's something that you're feeling funny about we'll get it out of there but and and this might be one of those things but it, so forgive me if I, the last thing we ever want to do is come across as people who are just looking for sensational content but i am curious man so and I'm and I feel like you might even be able to predict where I'm going. So I, I, it's either two things. I'm waiting. I'm for curious. I'm gonna see if I can surprise you. It's a, it's the I feel like it's the the elephant kind of. But uh, so we, I have recently been rediscovering some of those Bad Brains records and love yeah. the sound of it. 
and I know that there's a little bit of a of a of a you know I don't know how much of it has been lost in translation over time, but there's there's stories of a pretty negative experience there, and and again, this is something like I'm the last thing I'm trying to do is, is you know no, no, is to saying. hurt anybody or to hurt anybody's reputation. So if it ends up <laughs> making them look bad, we can it, we can make it a, no, a me not. and you thing, but. You know, truth is truth and facts are facts and and basically a couple of things first of all if you go to ww uh, the, the website www.timper one word t i m k e r r dot net uh, and you go to the uh, uh, god what is that called the uh, shit i can't there, i can't remember what that thing's called where you you kind of are explaining things or something kind of deal there's there's two big things in there one of them is tim kerr records and one of them is the bad brains so you can go in there and read that because i get asked this probably six every six months somebody will ask me about well, this thing i'm being that guy right now and asking yeah, yeah. you something no, you've but, asked, but, but asked a million times the couple of things i'll say is that they were definitely one of the best bands I saw live. There's no doubt. Uh, they basically were, uh, you know, they, they found Bob Marley and they became Rastafarian without realizing what Rastafarian was, which meant live and let live, you know, kind of thing. And they basically were really homophobic. Uh, they were just had all these, it was almost like a Jerry Farwell kind of type thing. You know, I mean, it was kind of amazing all the shit they were spouting out. Um, they were all involved in it when all the shit went down in our house and in our yard, and uh, except for the drummer. And the drummer, I'll never, ever forget this. When I came home the next day and Beth was crying and all this shit was going down and MDC was in the yard yelling at him and stuff, he was sitting, when I walked into the house first to make sure Beth was okay, he was sitting in a chair with his hands in his, his uh, head, you know, head in his hands, and looked up at me, and you could tell, you know, this is uh oh, we're we're starting to we're not a unit anymore. We're starting to separate now, because he looked up at me and just went, man, I, I'm sorry, Tim. I'm really, really sorry. And you you know what I'm saying? You could right. just tell we're not so that was Earl? We're not unified anymore. This isn't you know kind of type thing. Um, the once again, if you read all of that stuff, you can, and if you want to, when this is over, you can just read it out loud in your intro or something to people oh, yeah. so they'll but but it all that stuff happened and basically we played the, the, actually and that's one of the first things we were talking about it's funny that when they came in to the house because they stayed with us for a couple of days and our house was a little bitty small house we weren't in the house we're in right now and uh so that house and this house have basically been youth hostel since like 1978. Like all these bands and their friends, you know, everybody stayed at these houses kind of thing. So Bad Brains were staying at the one on 4808. Uh, the first thing they were asking me was, um, well, what's your band like? And I put on that, that 12 inch, the spot had just done. And I wasn't paying attention to what side I put on. And I put on, we got soul first, you know, not, not on purpose or anything. I just put it down, you know, kind of put that, this is you guys and y'all are hardcore. This is you guys. You know, kind of, it's like, yeah. You know, kind of, so when the show happened, they, they really loved us because I had a bunch of reggae and you know, all this kind of stuff and everything. And when the show happened, they, they came right when we, it was us and then bad brains. It was like, MDC, the Dicks, us, and then the Bad Brains. 
Well, they didn't show up for the dicks at all. I know now exactly why. You know, I didn't know at the time. And, uh, because I just thought, you know, people's, you know, be respectful religion. I didn't really know that much about Rastafarian at the time and stuff. And so I was, we were just being respectful to them. And, and, uh, and they had one guy with them, Ray, I think is what his name was, that was definitely full tilt Jamaican. You had to keep going, excuse me, because you couldn't really understand, you know, what it, but he was great. He was a really, really good guy. So when the show happened, they came, saw the big boys. We saw them when it was over. Uh, HR is like hugging biscuit and just like, Oh my God, all those, all those people get up on stage. all the Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's gone. And then just kind of stepped back and looked at biscuit and was just like, Oh, but are, are you gay? And Biscuit's like, yeah, you know, kind of, and boom, it's like, oh, this is Babylon. This is, that's why on where on uh, the the second record we have lullabies. You have that stuff that I've written where yes, kids, we are from Babylon, kind of type thing. Because he right. was just holy hell, and San Francisco in Babylon, Austin's Babylon, and all this kind of shit. And before all that had gone down, Biscuit had given them pot had sold them some pot for i don't know how really cheap or whatever kind of thing and and once again i don't smoke pot so i have no clues what to what to, you know price right. or anything kind of thing and so when all this was said and done and the the next day the you know things are definitely different at the house now but we're still being respectful to them and all this and then there was all the stuff with the poster getting you know like they put a band-aid over the guy's dick in the room so where i'd have to rip up the poster and and they stole some shit out of the house of all the people that have stayed with us all these years that's the only time anything bad's ever happened with us having people stay here which is kind of pretty freaking amazing but uh yeah but anyway lucky with that so, as many dumb kids yeah, tour in the world yeah, you're you know it's gonna that, happen it's but all that shit happened and and so the next day i'd gone to work and beth was staying there because they were supposed to go play houston the next night and, uh, and Beth calls up crying and everybody that knows Beth knows, you know, like that's just not her and that's not, you know, and she's, she's everybody's, we tend to always be everybody's favorite aunt and uncle, which is pretty great. And I'm pretty honored by that and stuff, but Beth is great and she's calling, she's crying. And she's just like, you, you have to come home. You have to come home right now kind of thing. And I come back home and MDC is on one side of the sidewalk. Um, bad brains, all of them, except for the drummer, are out on the other side of the sidewalk. It wasn't just HR, which everybody's trying to make it sound like now. Uh, screaming and hollering, just, you know, women should be at home barefoot cooking, just, all kinds of stuff. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, I basically send them all home. You know, I'm totally shaking on the inside because human nature, even though I didn't do anything wrong, I'm scared. And, you know, I feel really like, oh my God, you know, kind of, and, uh, so get them all to go home, and um, by the time they get to Houston, words out, you know. And this is before the internet or anything, and like, and, and they're already getting their tires slashed and all this kind of stuff. And clubs are calling us on their tour, going, "How much do they owe you? We're going to pay you," you know, kind of thing. Because right at the last, they handed us an envelope that was sealed and weighted, and it was to Biscuit. And I'm not going to open up, you know, it's it's sealed. I'm not opening it's up. Got this Biscuit's envelope. name on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a, so when Biscuit, when we open it up, it's just this huge, I don't know how many page tirade about, you know, faggot, you're going to burn in hell, all you guys are going to burn in hell, all this kind of stuff, and no money whatsoever kind of thing. And uh, so that that was our problem with them, 
You know, the rest of the stuff, yeah, but to each his own, whatever. Our big thing was good people don't steal from other people, and you just stole from us. You need to, you know, you need to fix this kind of thing, or at least people need to know you just stole, you know, so money from Biscuit and this kind of thing. And uh, But what happened was MDC, it was right when that big album first came out, their big first album, and they went on tour all through the United States and every fanzine, they talked about their gay friends and, you know, the Bad Brains did this, this, and this, and that's wrong. You need to believe this, this, and this, which is just as wrong to me kind of thing. And, like, basically just... And I explained this to Ian one time when that dot when the Bad Brains doc came out, which is a whole nother story. You can once again just read it on that thing because I don't want to get into all and that. I've, I've definitely like, seen that doc, and I've I've seen Ian's. Yeah, but on they that. Ian tried to check him a little. You know, he said, you know, homophobia is homophobia. Like, you know, you can they, you yeah, can chalk well, it up to youthful indiscretion, but there there yeah, were yeah. some major missteps. You know. Yeah, well, that's because Ian and, Ian and Alec did not want to talk to him about that, and he sprung it on him really quick, uh, and, uh, and stuff was going, and so that's why you have Alec kind of laughing and real, but he's really uncomfortable, you know, kind of thing. I mean, there's a, it's a lot. It, it, there's so much more, but I was trying to explain because Ian, you know, all of them in DC, I can see, you know, like they're 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 the band. It's a big deal, and they, they kind of started a lot of stuff for all the, all of them when they were kids and all this kind of stuff. But Ian's thing was like, well, they, they fucked around a lot of people, you know, and they really, all those guys loved us a lot too, the DC crew. So they, it was always really uncomfortable for them, this situation, because it's like they really, oh, it's a bad brain, so, but oh shit, like they did this to, you know, our friends and I kind of, so, and I totally get it. I understand and whatever. I'm not trying to, you know, get on a box to anybody. I could care less if you like the bad brains, if you have a poster well, hanging behind. I think whatever. that's the nature of this entire conversation, yeah, man. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about this to put yeah. bad brains down. It's, it's, we're just it's exploring it. That, yeah, it's just facts that happen. And the one thing that I don't think Ian really quite understood until this doc came out, and we, we were going to cut our part out of that doc, because when they first sent it to us, and they sent it to us four days I didn't even know we were in the documentary. I didn't even know the Bad Brains were doing a documentary. And like four days before it was supposed to show here in Austin, we get an email saying, hey, uh, we're doing this. Uh, there's going to be the premiere, and we wanted to use two of the big boy songs. It's just like, oh, that's funny. Well, what Like, well, I didn't, what, what songs are you using? Uh, oh, Funk Off and something. And I, I was just laughing, going, well, Brick Wall has written exactly about that whole incident. Yeah, that's the perfect song, right? If you're wanting to be transparent. And they sent it to us, and the original one is unbelievable. Like we could, like I had a friend that when they sent it um, was watching for the first time when I was watching, and he didn't come through any of this stuff. He didn't know any of the. He he, he didn't come through, you know, punk rock, hardcore, any of that kind of stuff. And he's he's even like going, well, you can't say that. Well, you can't do because they were literally going. Well, big boys—they were the—they were a bunch of cross-dressing faggots. They were the real—I mean, just saying shit that was like, "Oh my God, you can't," you know. That—that's—I could sue your fucking ass, you know, kind of thing. And like, yeah. it was—it was unbelievable. And like, and so we were gonna—we were saying, "No, you can't use any of this," and no, you know, kind of deal. And then Ian and Alec called, and and uh, you know, it's like again, it's a long story, but. But the point of this is, is that, you know, I was thinking 
like Beth had said to me, well, do, are people still, you know, asking about this? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, it, it's, I get asked every six, seven months kind of thing. And, and I looked up on the, on a, you know, I Googled it and it, it was, it wasn't all the other shit that the bad brains had done. It was us. It was always this incident, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and you saw I, mean, I think that that's, that's been like attached it, to their career. And, the, doc, and the, the woman doing the documentary it was really funny because she she called me and uh, and you could tell she called just because she felt like she had to after because the first person that got a hold of us was the the uh, uh, publicist and they said oh man so and so hadn't called you yet and it's like no I haven't ever heard about any of this and so then here she is calling and you could tell you know she was just doing it out of you know she she wasn't she didn't want to call kind of thing and the first thing she said to me it was so great she goes you know I I know this is neither here nor there but my, my dad was gay and I was just like, well, I've got black friends. Like what the hell does that have to do with anything? Like what? <laughs> right. I just, this is like that. And then the next thing she starts telling me, she goes, you know, it's funny because we've shown this film already a couple of times and, and for such a small incident, that's all everybody wants to talk about. That's all everybody. And I'm going, yeah, it was kind of, you know, if, 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 if spin and all those kind of magazines were in, you know, were paying attention to what we were all doing and interested in what we were all doing, you wouldn't even have to be asking this. It would have been, it was a huge fucking deal when it went down and it really changed. But the biggest point is that I realized by the time the documentary came and that I was saying to Ian was, you know, yeah, you had, there's definitely homophobic people and things like that. But I mean, there, you didn't have a division between gay and straight punks there wasn't that at all until this went down and then all of a sudden now we've got a gay punk scene and we've got a such and such which great but you know what i'm saying there wasn't that that division until this particular thing happened and that's kind of what made it even a bigger deal you know was more so than all the other shit that they did to people it was it was that that you know kind of thing so and ian it was funny because Ian was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're, you know, he hadn't really ever thought about it like that or something, you know. So, so yeah, anyway, so all of that. And the other thing that's come up fairly recently that I kind of, I've been kind of thinking about writing something, especially with all the shit that's going on now and all this kind of stuff is, is, you know, first of all, when the books that have been written about this, they'll, they'll ask me the story or whatever and i'll just tell them well here's the facts you know that i can put baggage to it but here's here's basically this is what happened you know and then i can give you my opinion but this is this is the facts kind of thing it always ends with them writing well now if this really happened da, 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 da. and it's just like it happened like i'm sorry that your heroes didn't live up to your you know whatever you know it's like right. this, it happened i'm sorry and the other one is PMA. And the PMA thing drives me crazy because you get so many people going, oh, man, but the positive mental attitude didn't really start happening until the bad brains in this thing. Po- positive mental attitude was going on way before the bad brains. And all this stuff was all these kids were setting up their own scenes, were helping out each other. All the, that's positive mental attitude. It was not the bad brains that started that shit. And yeah, they just sort of maybe one of the early ones to to give it a name but i mean it, it had it, it's From a there. Book, not even something they you know they're they're talking about a book they read you know kind well, of thing, it, so. and that might go back to what you were saying about you you, you 
your whole career, you've hated labels, right? So it's like yeah. positive, even the positive mental attitude is a very, you know, for lack of a better word, positive label. It is a label, right? You just like for things to be what they are and for people to not try to classify and uh, put them in a box. Not bad because I, I said uh, it, it's real because I don't really ever because once again I don't and I have friends that really love the bad brains and stuff and it's fine you know I don't really I, to each his own I don't care it's like whatever you know kind of thing none of them have ever apologized to us none of them have ever tried to get back to us to set anything straight so all of that's bullshit where people you know I think the bass players constantly talking about oh, we talked to them and no nobody's ever no you didn't you know it's like that did not happen and. Uh, so, you know, all of that stuff, whatever. And I just, I don't really ever address it that much kind of thing, like on the internet, you know, where I'm writing stuff. But somebody had written, I can't remember if they said PMA or something in Bad Brains and, uh, and had a picture of them and just like, you know, and it was kind of at the start of all the whole, you know, when all the shit started happening with, with civil rights and everything now. And, uh, and, I, and it's funny because I just wrote, I just said, okay, now's the time. And I just wrote, well, if PMA means that uh, you don't like the LBGTQ community, that you hate them and stuff, yeah, I guess that's right. You know, kind of thing, and just left it at that. You know, and then, of course, the person's writing back to me going, oh, Tim, you know, I know. I, you know, was, I was like, yeah, whatever. What, yeah. <laughs> so. But, you know, part of it that I think is worth exploring and, 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 and I mean, you've you've been ridiculously gracious even talking to me about it. Like I this morning when I was thinking about talking to you, I was like, I don't, I probably shouldn't bring this up to Tim. Like now is a, 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 if there's ever a time that I don't want to bring it up, now is the time. Like, uh, but I also did bring it up, so you know I'll I'll roll with it. But like the the thing that I think maybe both of us, and you know I'm not trying to to speak for you here, but one thing that might be worth considering is clearly at the time that it happened, and this is not to 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 try to minimize the negativity there, because you know you you guys obviously got a raw deal there. Nobody should treat you that way. And and like Ian said in that doc, homophobia is homophobia. Like there's no way around it, right? But one thing that's absolutely worth considering is that HR was clearly uh, an improperly medicated schizophrenic who is also passionately obsessed with with the religion, and I feel like th- that is a dangerous fucking combination, man. Like you know, whether it be Rastafarianism or if he had become a born again Christian, if you if you uh, if you're an improperly medicated schizophrenic, you are going to probably lean towards the extreme side of it and you don't you don't have to be a homophobe to be a christian or a rastafarian but if you're an extremist of either there's a chance that you will manipulate that text to your sort of extremist agenda and that often sort of comes out in this hateful way i mean just like you know you you grew up in small town texas right you had to have been around some christians who were homophobic and it's yeah, but um, hang on, because you're, you're leaving out the part that I said at the very start that people leave out. It was all of them in that front yard. It wasn't Oh, yeah, age. yeah. But here, all of them. But I can't all help but wonder if, if, if those guys, and yeah, you know, they weren't, they weren't having those mental issues, but they're, it, it, so 
you know, take it with a grain of salt. There, there's, there's missteps there. There's no way around it. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for them. Yeah, but they were all, all definitely pretty unified at that point in time, and that's what I'm saying. And it's, and it's only the drummer. I think Earl is that the drummer's yeah, name. Earl Hudson. He, he's the only one that was literally not participating in this and saying he was sorry to me. The rest of them were all full tilt into it. Uh, going, it wasn't just one of them. It was all all of them yelling. And I understand what you're saying, but it was a unified thing. And when I kind of got everybody separated and was telling people you need to leave and you need to, if you're gonna yell, yell at your hat kind of time. I just remember Doctor No going, "Well, it's the truth, though. It's the truth." Uh, you know, yeah, that, going, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't have that same situation. You know, obviously he is not a he wasn't an undiagnosed schizophrenic. You know, once again, it's like it, it's one of those things where. The crazy thing was that when it went down, we basically unplugged our phone and didn't even want to see anybody for about a week. I mean, it was that unbelievably fit. I mean, we were embarrassed that it was, it hit us that hard. And then we were kind of pretty much over it and fine with it until this dot came out. And when all that week went down with them all yelling and all this stuff was going on about trying to use this music, it might as well have happened yesterday. And Beth and I were even embarrassed again you know because it was like it was affecting us that bad that many years later it was fucked up you know oh, i mean yeah, it was, definitely and it wasn't just one you know i'm sorry it's like it yeah wasn't just hr the one, like they portrayed you know he's the one that kind of is the scapegoat now for it but i'm sorry it was all of them and all of them kept it going for a long time you know it was like <sighs> it wasn't just him i mean if you felt different it's the, it's the same sort of thing like here comes the frat car screaming and yelling at somebody, uh, one person. The other people in that car are just as fucking guilty because you're not doing anything about the one person that's there yelling. You know, uh, it's, it's yeah. like it's like what's happening now with the cops. I was it's just like, about to say, man, there's those four guys that are or three or four guys yeah, who just watched. They're just as wrong. Yeah. yeah, if you're a good cop, then be a good cop. You know, like if you're going to do, don't be, you know. So, and Earl or whoever the bass player is, whatever his name is, he's still yelling and hollering about it, you know? So it's, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, it, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, my intentions are probably clear enough there, but I, I appreciate you chatting about it. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm a good example of kind of that in between, you know, like I, I, I grew up on the bad brains and I grew up on big boys and I grew up on all of this stuff. So it's, I I don't want to define any of you guys by by your missteps, and I would hope. I mean, it would have helped a ton if if anybody had had tried to to make up for that mistake at least by reaching out to you guys. But I would hope that, despite that lack of apology, that maybe there's been some clarity on their end. I mean, I I would hope that that homophobia is not there at least. Like it's they haven't reached out to us that's for sure so. yeah, man. but the the other thing that was funny was like like a year later or so like after like um you know when we did the go-go show the trouble fun this is so crazy like who who does this like it, it's it's us minor threat and trouble funk you know and it was just this big deal because it's first time they'd mixed black and white and the go-go scene with the punk rock scene and all this kind of stuff the bad brains are out front selling stuff at a table like it, like they're playing or something. Which but is they like weren't a, actually on the bill. Yeah, no, they weren't on the bill. So it's like <laughs> to but, their credit, that, that is a fucking crazy move. <laughs> like 
why who goes to somebody else's show and like oh buy my shirt and you know I, I don't know the whole thing was just it was odd it was just yeah. weird. But, you know, and, and I, I don't want to chalk it up to, I, I, you know, obviously through this conversation, it's not a water under the bridge kind of thing. And, and by me trying to, to speak to, you know, his mental health issues and everything else, it's not a, from a place of, a, of being an apologist. It's more from a place of, like, trying to think of positive growth for, for everybody involved and, and hoping that, uh, that, you know, that both, that everybody is not going to be defined by that moment and hopefully have grown well, since, yeah. but, but also at the same time, like, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, there's, there's things that are like that doc does not portray it quite how it happened. And I mean, I'm glad you and I talked about it, you know, cause I mean, it, it, it you know, some, 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 the one thing I wanted that I was really like, we got a lot of stuff changed. So that was good. Like we took out a lot of the shit people were saying that was just like, you know, cause biscuits not even here anymore. So he can't even defend himself, you know, kind of thing. And this is fucked up. You can't say that, you know, that didn't, you know, cause people were saying he made a pass at him. No, he didn't. None of biscuits. Even if he had, who the fucking cares? <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is, he, you know, like it, it, I had to ask Chris, you know, because I, for as long as I was in that band and knew, I never, I thought he was asexual. You know, like none of it, like he, he never was that sort of a person. He would tell you he was gay if you asked him, but he wasn't, he, he was more da-da than he was. I was just going to say, like, he, Biscuit's like a full-on performance artist, and yeah, that's, that's his primary that. agenda. He's not out, and I think I've read something where he said, why are you even asking me if I'm gay or straight? I don't want to talk to you about 5% of my life. Like, I want to talk to you about my art, which is damn near 100% of it, you know? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, you know, people keep going about that pink tutu. And the thing is, I think he wore that pink tutu maybe eight times, maybe, out of all of this. You know, it's like it's not like we went out every time with dresses and all that. I don't, it, it was okay, crazy. Yeah. Well, I think Crazy. Biscuit would have worn a pink tutu, gay, straight, or anywhere in between. Like he, he it wasn't was. wearing it to, to, because yeah. as an expression about his sexual orientation. Yeah. He was wearing yeah. it because he liked to let his freak flag fly. You know. But but I'll tell you that Joe, uh, you know, because Joe's been working on this documentary and like it's been going for pretty good while. Because there's so many people and there's so many interviews and all this. I mean, it's it's kind of I, I was pretty humbled and honored by the whole thing and pretty like amazed at the people that were just like, Oh yeah, that band, that band kind of, um, but he talks to HR, like HR came to Houston and played and Joe went down there and talked to him. And, and he basically said, we fucked up, you know, to it. And, and was kept asking, uh, he kept calling me Kim. I don't know why, but he kept saying, is Kim upset still kind of thing. And, and Joe was like, he doesn't. So the next thing I did was Joe went to go see him. San Antonio to talk to him again and then that by that point he was out of it again but I gave him a painting like I sent him a painting and just said you know what thanks you know thank you you're, you're the only one of all of them that's at least acknowledged it and said you're sorry I I don't lose sleep over this I really don't care one way or the other to each his own thank you here you know kind of thing and gave him a I can't remember now what it was I think it's the one that just says celebrate you know celebrate your time here or something like that and uh and uh, Joe said he just kind of sat and looked at it and just kind of was real quiet and just stood there looking at it. So, yeah, but 
So, well, you know. I, I think that speaks a little bit to the the positive mental attitude that you've got, man. Like, you know, you uh you're you're more concerned with with uh, like you said, positive influence and 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 whatnot. Uh but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I I don't I don't want to get hung up on that because this this chat is definitely meant to kind of be about your your whole career arc, already gonna but they're either gonna be turning it on and up, or they're gonna be turning it off. Hell oh yeah! You know what? I'm I'm glad I asked, man. I was you know I was I was nervous about it because, like I said, you know we're not here to get a sensational pull quote. We're here to to just you know have a a good enjoyable conversation with you, but. I think it, it it's it's been something that I I you know I learned a little bit more about that situation than I ever knew before. Like all I really knew was what that doc had told me. So it was great yeah. hearing your side of it. And and that, what I was going to say, and then I got off on something else, was that like you know we we got we got out most of the stuff you know that we're just like no that absolutely not that no you know kind of thing. But the cartoon stuff drove me fucking nuts because like when. When they're all handing the envelope in the cartoon, and we're smiling, and they're smiling, and they hand us a... It wasn't no. like that. <laughs> no, I mean, by that point in time, we were just like, oh my... It, it was super tense, you know? It was not this, but, like, ooh, French, you know, kind of thing, so it was... And, and like and you said before, that, man, that, that, um, that emotion side of it, like, they pull it out when they make it a cartoon, but, like... Both sides of it, you're you. There's a big part of how both of you are reacting that is so emotionally fueled, and and you're kind of probably there's an a, extreme version of yourselves on both sides of it, you know. And HR didn't have a bed, so we gave him like a rolled up foam thing pad that we had. You know, we were just trying to because they they even after all of this shit, they still stayed for pretty much most of the day. So it was pretty tense, and you know, even after the sidewalk stuff, it was kind of like. But so we're. You know, we're, we're trying to be nice with them, and we're trying to get them on their way to Houston. And so we give uh, HR a, a map, you know, like a, a phone pad so he can sleep and things like that. And Beth still to this day just kind of puts her head down, smiles, and says, that didn't happen kind of type thing. But it definitely happened. And, like, and what, what it was was they were all going to the van, and HR came back into the house. And he went back into the kitchen where Beth was. And he said, you know, we'll pray for Tim. We, 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 Tim's good. We're going to pray for him kind of thing. And Beth blew. And everybody that knows Beth knows kind of thing. And she just finally, like, she literally was, you know, like, like fuck you, finger in his face. And just, like, going, get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of my house. And just pushing him, like, backwards out of the house, which I thought was pretty amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, out of character a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, th this is a, and I, I feel like the king of hard shifts today, but, uh, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's like, so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm probably sounding scatterbrained pulling from such random sections of your past, but, you know, I guess in, in recent years you've, you've kind of, I mean, I think you've, I'm sure you've, you've been playing a ton. I just watched that amazing video that's you and Ray and Mike and, and all those fifth graders doing Minor oh, yeah. Threat. That's incredible. We shared almost it. Had we almost had, because I, I wanted to surprise Eric, the teacher. Like, we weren't going to, I wasn't even going to tell what. Like, I, we weren't going to tell anybody. And Ian was going to come, and then Beth would come with him to the school that morning. And we just walk in, and I'd walk up to Eric and go, "Oh, Eric, have you have you met Ian yet? You know, kind of thing. It would have right. been great, Blow but it was mind. the 
dad's birthday and all this kind of stuff, so he couldn't do it. So, but it would have been pretty cool. But so. you know, the video is pretty remarkable on its own, man. Ian would have definitely been a nice cherry on the top, but it's a great video. But you know, and I, I feel like you've probably done plenty of other music in in your time since. But it seems like you've done a just a monumental, prolific amount of uh, of visual art. And I'm curious. I would love to to get my hands on a piece of yours. Are you posting them anywhere? Like anywhere where I can kind of like scroll what you got available for purchase. If you see the the Facebook post and things like that and Instagram, you kind of see what I'm doing. And then on the web page, there's a thing where you can see art, but it's all older. But mostly what happens is people just write to me and it's just kind of like, you know, they kind of know the style and what I do. And and, and I basically just say, well, who, who inspired you? Who's somebody that you're inspired by or who do you want? You know, kind of type thing. And then people will give me names or, you know, a subject or something like that. And then I'll... I'll either show them what I've got because they might want something like that or I'll just do whoever they're asking for, you know, kind yeah. of thing if I don't have one. So so that's usually how that works. Well, and you, I try to keep prices like really super reasonable, you know, because yeah. I just, I want to be able to afford it. So it's, it's most stuff goes for, you know, like 24 by 18, about that size would probably be about four or 500 bucks, you know, which isn't bad at all. No. And, 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 you know, if you really want something, you can figure out how to to get there. You know, it's not like it's twenty five hundred or fifteen hundred or something. You know, some yeah. ridiculous. So, well, so that's your, how that works. That's there's how that DIY should. ethos kind of, you know, yeah. staying true to what you're doing now, yeah. man. Well, I'll, I, I'll probably be reaching out to you soon to see to see what's around, man, because I'd I'd love to have a piece of yours. Skateboards, the skateboards have always been four hundred. You know, whoever I paint on them, it's four hundred dollars is what I've been keeping that at. So, so that's what those go for. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, it, it's the first thing you were asking me was like, what am I doing now? And it's like the pop up thing. You know, all of those are like a hundred bucks a piece. You know, kind of thing. So somebody can kind of afford it or whatever kind of deal. So, you know, it's not on acid free paper, but it's like at least. Yeah, somebody can have something. So totally, I mean, totally worth that cost break to not be on acid-free paper, man. Yeah. Um, you're also, and you're also talking about all the stuff that I've done and all that, which is, it is, you know, I hate vacuum cleaner salesmen, and I don't like people that are like, well, I did, I did, but I kind of have done a lot of shit, and yeah. like, and I, I've, I also though. I pretty much live like I, I hope I haven't seen the best thing yet, you know, and I can't even imagine not living like that, you know, and, and we've all got those friends that, you know, like the high school touchdown pass is the best time I've ever, I'm ever going to have, you know, that, that, that's yeah, that, fucking, you know, it's like our, our, our people, you know, you have so many kids that'll come up and just like, man, I missed it. I, I didn't get to see negative approach and I didn't see minor threat. Or, it's, it's like, go, go to, a show that's not in a club, that's in a house or in somebody's basement or somebody's putting on something in a haunt. That's exactly it. That's exactly what it was like. They may not play Minor Threat, but that's exactly what it was like. And you're so busy looking behind you that you're going to totally fucking miss the whole thing. Yeah, you know, don't, it's like you're, don't get hung up so much on the past that you miss all the good shit that you could actually be around to see, you know? And that's kind of what's really, I mean, this is, sounds crazy, but Beth and I have talked about this before, but that's kind of what's so great about skaters. Because skaters, for the most part, are the tribe that don't do that. 
they're basically still building their own parks or making their own clothes or to, and they're interested in the history but they also want to know like oh what are you doing oh you're writing a book you know it's like they're doing i mean it's there's so much more to it you know it's there's just a lot i mean ray's a perfect example of that you know ray's great ray barbie you know it's like he just does a whole bunch of different stuff but he also wants to know about the history too you know what i'm oh, saying yeah. he, he's moving forward it's not trying to to do this reenactment or whatever of what, you know, used to be or all that kind of, that's what we keep calling all the reunion shows is reenactments. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really, really wish, I think this would be so fun. I'd be there for sure. If this happened, it'd be so great. If you're going to do that, then let's do like the civil war reenactments or any of these other things. And we all have a part and we all wear the clothes that we wore back then. And there, and then you've got the kid that jumps off the monitors and breaks his collarbone. <laughs> right. You know, you have the four skinheads that come in and cause all the shit and stuff. I'd be there in a second to that see would that. Amazing. I'd, be, I mean, that would speak to your performance art history too, man. <laughs> well, Tim, it's been amazing talking to you, man. You've put out so much work that means a lot to both myself and Eddie over here, man. We, uh, you, you're a, you're a, a real gift to the world, and and I'm, I'm thankful for all the art that I've been able to absorb of yours, man. Cool. Well, if you got a place that wants to do a mural or have an art show, let me know. Hell yeah, dude. Come down to Columbia. We'll make it happen. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Start asking around. It'd be I great. will. I'll make it happen. I'll I'll, I'll put yeah. some uh, put some things together and get in touch with you, man. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. Well, so. sweet. Well, Tim, I'll, I'll let you go, man, but I've loved talking to you, and hopefully we can uh, talk soon. Okay. See ya. See ya, Tim. Bye. Bye. This has been a Comfort Monk production. <laughs>